Good morning. I want to start by telling a story from my junior year of high school. When I was a high school junior, I got the lead in the play Guys and Dolls, which is a musical that's set in the Roaring Twenties kind of prohibition period. It's about these guys who are gambling and running away from the law and stuff like that. Um, actually, Evergreen Corral just uh, did the play in February. And I, w I was one of the leads, and I, I had this time, or th there's this time where we were rehearsing, and um, <clears throat> I, um, there, I had the script. I, I didn't have it memorized yet. We were going through lines, kind of blocking things. And uh, I, uh, there was this one line that had a word in it, a, a swear word. I don't remember what word it was, but I remember it being pretty benign. It wasn't that bad of a word, but I, I remember I didn't want to say it. And, and so what I did was the line came and I, whatever the word was, I said darn or shucks or shooty or something like that instead of the word. And um, the, the, right after I said the line, the director stood up and the director and I hadn't gotten along to start. We didn't see eye to eye on some things. And he stood up, he's like, cut, cut, cut. He walks to the edge of the stage and he says, Josh, what's wrong with the line? I was like, and I decided in that moment to play the God card, to play while well, my religion and I and my faith and the yada yada and you know, the Bible and you know, just I said I don't remember what I said, but I remember saying it very emphatically that I didn't want to say that word. And uh, by the time I'm done, the the director is just kind of looking down at the ground like this, and and he says, "Okay, if it's going to be that way, I'm going home." And literally, he just he's like, "You guys can keep going, but I'm going to leave." And he walked out of the room, and we're all kind of looking at each other like, whoa, it worked. You know? <laughs> um, no, we're all looking at each other like, wow. And th actually, the funniest thing of this whole interchange happened next. My friend Colin, who was also up on stage with me for the scene, walked up to me and very sincerely put his hand on my shoulder, looked me in the eye, and said, I would have done the same thing too, bro. And then he did one of these, you know. <laughs> and, and, I, and he walked away. And I remember as he walked away thinking, Dude, I know you. You curse like a sailor. Like, I, I wonder how you kiss your mama with that mouth sometimes. And, and that was, you know, I'm like, okay, bro, you know. Um, and uh, he walks off. The next day, the director pulls me aside. <clears throat> he says, listen, Josh, I don't have a problem with you wanting to change that word, you know, th that darn word. I have no problem with that. And he, at, at that time, I'm sure he thought to himself, he didn't say this, but I'm sure he thought to himself, I wonder why Josh doesn't have a problem with the, the girl, the dancing scene, the, the kissing the female lead scene, the, the whole scene with the gambling and the drinking where they're running from the cops. But anyway, I'll, I'll give that to you that you don't want to use that darn word. Um, but please, just come talk to me next time. Like, like just don't be that guy, please. You know, he, he had nothing, no problem with what I was asking, it was how I was asking and how I did it was the problem. We're ending Horrible Bosses today. This is a series about the authority that's over us. It's, it's exactly what it sounds like. And if you've been with us for this series, we've talked about a lot of different things. We started by talking about why the, the, the authorities that are over us are important because actually if you're, if you're a God follower, those are authorities that have been placed by God. 
We talked about God as the CEO, the chief officer of everything. And that's kind of a hard thing to wrestle with, to make God the CEO of your life. And if, if you've struggled with that, of like that trusting God to that level, I, I get it. I'm glad you're here today. That was what we talked about the first week. And then the, the second week, we looked at a guy named Jacob who, who was, was very tempted. He kept going in and just taking things. At the things that he, he wanted in life, the things that he felt were promised. And that happens to all of us, that we can manipulate life to take what we think is ours and do some things wrong. And we, can't, we shouldn't do that. We should respond authority, authority differently than that. And then, and then last time we were together, we looked at a guy named David, a guy who was able to honor a guy who was extremely dishonorable a boss that was very, very difficult. And that's what uh, uh, encouraged us to live that way. As we wrap up this, this morning, if you throughout this, let me tell you who this is for this morning. If you throughout this series have th- ever thought to yourself, okay, great, this is great, we're supposed to honor, we're not supposed to take that kind of thing, but, but what about when somebody really actually what they're asking me to do, an authority over me, is asking me to do something that's truly wrong. If you've thought about, like, what do I do then? That th- today is for you. If you throughout this series have ever, you know, were thinking to yourself, okay, this is great that I'm supposed to do all this stuff and honor the authority over me, but am I just a doormat? Like, is there ever a time where I can actually stick up for myself? You know, like, if you've thought that today is for you, here's who else today is for. If you at any point in time in your life have have thought about religion and struggle with the idea of faith because it just seems too passive. It just seems like I just need to let go and let God and that kind of of language rubs you wrong. Today is for you. I'm excited to talk about what we're going to talk about today because to end Horrible Bosses, we're going to talk about rebellion. We're going to talk about how to rebel. And if you're here this morning and you're sitting next to, you're a parent, and you're sitting next to a kid, and you brought him to church, and, and you're like, great, I'm so glad we came to church today so that I could learn how, that, you know, my kid can learn how to rebel against me. This is great, Josh. If, if that's you, I want you to know, I want you to take comfort. We're not just talking about how to rebel today. We're talking about how to rebel well. That's what today is about. That, that, and, and here's the thing. If you're one of those kids, like if your parent's sitting right next to you, uh, here's the thing. I want to encourage you. In fact, I, I want to encourage all of us. We, we should try to stay away from rebellion as much as possible. We should use rebellion as a last resort. There's all sorts of problems that come from rebel- rebellion, and, and, and because of that, I want to start this morning with three cautions, just three quick things that when you're thinking about rebellion, when it comes to rebellion, you need to be cautious about, the f- about, about these things. One, this is the first thing. Here's when it comes to rebellion, we love it. If we're honest with ourselves, think about the movies that you watch, that we're entertained by, Braveheart, Star Wars. Isn't, isn't the good guys in the Star Wars, aren't they called the rebels? Thank you. I, I thought that was the case. I, I, if we look at the way we, we entertain ourselves, the things that we enjoy watching, we, we love it to watch it, to stick it to the man. And because we love it, we are quick to rush into it. We talked about this the first time. Pay attention to your daydreams. 
If you don't think you love rebellion, pay attention to your daydreams and what you think about a, a bad boss or somebody in authority over you. We talked about that the first week. We love rebellion, so we've got to be cautious approaching it because sometimes we'll rebel for completely the wrong reasons. For reasons that, you know, oh, I, I asked for low-sodium soy sauce with my sushi. I mean, wars have been fought over less because we love rebellion. That's caution number one. Here's caution number two when it comes to rebellion. We can really be jerks. Uh, rebellion has a way of bringing out the worst in us. We've talked about this quite a bit, actually, about how, when it comes to rebellion, when it comes to, to authority over us, we will do things that we would never do otherwise. We, we talk ourselves into things that are really, it really brings out the worst in us. So we have to be cautious when we're talking about rebellion in this topic. And the last one, we can be jerks, and it doesn't always work. That's the third caution. If we're honest with ourselves and we look at the ways that we have rebelled in the past, it might have felt good at the time, but in the end, we, we might not have won at all. Think of some of the relational fallouts that you've had in your life. Some of them came as, as a result of rebellion, and it didn't work out quite like you hoped it would. But you think of you know, some of the, the, yeah, the relationships that, that have been terminated. Because, you know, think of some of the emails that you've sent. <laughs> and it's like, you, you got to say what you wanted, but who did, no one really won at the end. You didn't really win anything, they didn't really win anything, but there was a war. And that's the thing, is we have to be cautious when it comes to rebellion. And I, I would steer us away from it as much as possible, but that's not what today is about. Today is about when you decide, you know what, it's time. It's time for me to stick up for myself. It's time for me to draw the line. It's time for me to step in and help my kid, you know, mitigate this situation. And I need to make a phone call. I need to write that email. That's what today is about. But we're not just talking about rebelling. We're talking about how to rebel well. So you guys ready? All right, let's go. This is how to, to rebel well. In order to, to, to preface this conversation, I think there's a principle that I want us to, I think there's a big idea that would help us rebel well is if, we if we kept this in mind in the future, this week, as we're, we're thinking about saying something or cross, you know, drawing that line, this principle will go a long way, and it goes like this. I'm going to put it right here in the front because I want it front, front center in our minds. If you must defy, focus more on how than why. In fact, let's just say that together. Why don't you read that with me? If you must defy... Focus more on how than why. Let's try that again because you're a little, little soft. If you must defy, focus more on how than why. Now, here's the thing. If you are able to keep this in mind, this will go far with you. If you must defy, that is, okay, again, avoiding the rebellion at all costs. Like, but you decide, you know, I must do this. If you must, focus on how you're going to rebel more than why you're rebelling. See, why you're rebelling is, is, is a fuel you don't need. Why you're rebelling is what you're mad about, what they've done to you. If you sit and think about that, if you focus on that, you're going to have all sorts of anger and you're going to go do a lot of things that you regret. But if you hope, focus on how, okay, I'm going to, okay, I'm going to make that stand, but how am I going to do it? If you thought, focus more on your actions, it will go well with you in the future as you rebel. I could, we're going to say a lot more about this, but I want to keep moving. And I, and I wanted to introduce it to you in case you fall asleep, because you need to know this before, you know, like, like, this is the most important thing from today. If you must defy, focus more on how than why. I wanted it front and center in our minds, because it'll help us navigate the passage we're going to look at today. Um, we're going to end today with one more 
one more character from the Old Testament, one more story, one more dude from the, the Old Testament. I talked about Jacob, we've talked about David, and today we're going to talk about Daniel, a guy named Daniel. Some of you are familiar with, with Daniel, uh, da- Daniel in the lion's den, that's that Daniel, um, if you grew up in, in, in Sunday school. And it, here's the thing with, with Daniel's story. Let's go back to David. D- we talked about David last week. David lived about a thousand years B.C., he was alive around a thousand years be- before Christ. Da- Daniel is about 600 years BC, about 400 years later. And he lives in the same country. He lives in Israel, but he lives in a completely, he has the complete opposite experience that our friend David did. David was a good king, and he saw Israel expand and get big and become, become this kind of recognized world power in, in, the, in the region at the time. Daniel, it's the opposite. 400 years later, fast forward for 400 years, and Daniel is born into an Israel, a nation, a country that had, was, was being whittled away. It was crumbling as he grew up. It became smaller and smaller and smaller by military campaigns, first by the Assyrians. Remember studying the Assyrians and the Babylonians? Later, the Babylonians came, and they finished the job the Assyrians tried, that they started. And Daniel, so, so David had this wonderful, you know, like big Israel experience. Daniel, on the other hand, was born. By the time he was a teenager, Israel had been whittled down to just Jerusalem, just this one walled city that was all that was left that was free. And even in, in by the time he was 19 years old, to, he had watched uh, Jerusalem fall. Um, for two and a half years, King Nebuchadnezzar, the, the, the Babylonian king, surrounded, uh, if you're familiar with, with ancient warfare, they would use sieges as a way to get things done, uh, to take cities. Instead of going in there and, and going up against walled cities, they'd just surround these cities and wait them out, starve them out. Uh, wait till there was no more water left. Wait till disease and famine got so bad inside the city that the people finally said, we give up. It's kind of a gruesome, it was gruesome, it was a horrible warfare. Daniel experienced two and a half years in Jerusalem until one day armies overran the walls. He watched hundreds of people die, including his family and friends, and he was one of the sole survivors that was, was, was then a, a, war, a, a refugee of war and taken f- from his home to a foreign land. That's Daniel's life. That's the backstory. Now, the reason I tell you all this is I want you to imagine if that was your story. Uh, for a lot of people in the world right now, the, the, the Syrian refugee crisis, that, they, they know that story. But for us, we, we, it's, we, have to, we have to think about this. Imagine if you'd watched your family die. Imagine if you were at the hands of this horrible, uh, horrible boss. Truly. That's Daniel's, that's his, his backstory. That's his, his life, and that's where we pick up today. This is Daniel 1, chapter 1, verse 1. It goes like this. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. We just talked about that. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hands, his meaning you know, um, Nebuchadnezzar, so they lost, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he, Nebuchadnezzar, carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put into the treasure house of his God. This is actually a very um, um, 
typical ancient practice. This was a way of saying, my dad can beat up your dad. My God is bigger than your God. I win. I'm going to take your God or your idol. In this case, they didn't have an idol for, for, for their God. They had stuff at the altar in, in the temple. So Nebuchadnezzar brings that and brings that back to his God museum, saying, I win. Okay, let's keep reading. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. What Nebuchadnezzar did here was actually very genius. Instead of just wiping everybody out or selling everybody into slavery, he said, go get the people of influence. Go get the people who, who are smart and handsome. Go get them, and, and, and let's, let's talk with them. Let's train them in our ways, and, and let's, let's, you know, let, let's see what they got. And so uh, they, they go and and, and that's Daniel. Enter Daniel. A Daniel is one of those young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for all kinds of learning. I, I find myself similar to Daniel in a lot of ways. Um, I, I resonate with him for some reason. I don't know why. Anyway, uh, so, so Daniel, let's, let's, let's keep reading. Verse 6. The king assigned them a daily amount of food, of verse 5, and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and then after that, they were to enter the king's service. So he takes the best of the best, and he's like, let's use them. Let's not kill them. Let's not, they don't need to break rock. Let's put them to use. Keep going. Among those were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief officials gave them new names. We'll talk about that in a second. To Daniel, he named him Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. To Azariah, Abednego. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's another good, solid, solid Sunday school. Um, they were thrown into the fire, but God protected them. Uh, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. Again, imagine this. I want us to feel the angst of being taken from, from your homeland, watching the people you love die, and then all, you know, you're traveling back, you're, you're, you're a refugee of war, and then all of a sudden, your captors change, overnight, they change their tune. They change your clothes. They change your diet. They change your name. And they start to say, hey, buddy, how you doing? You know, are you for real? No, I just want, Daniel, I just wanted to come and check in on you. How you, how you doing, man? Good? Like, you imagine w what you'd be going through. You, wouldn't you be so angry? You've watched everything get taken away from you. They've chipped away every, everything and everyone around you, and now they have the audacity to try to take away what's about you, your name, your religion. I'd be furious. It, 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 all of a sudden, they have the seeking suspicion. They're trying to brainwash you. <laughs> you do something, right? You rebel. And see, see, here's the thing. They, they were trying to chip away everything about these young men, including their faith. And this is where Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, they're going to have to make a decision. They've come to a crossroads. They're like, okay, do we go with the flow? 
And by the way, it's not a bad flow. The food's pretty good. I like this, these clothes are nice. Like they're treating us well. There's some potential to really have some influence to move up the ladder. It's a lot better than, you know. But that comes at a cost. They're going to have to count, that would come with compromise. Or are they going to choose to draw the line and rebel against what they know is wrong? And they choose to rebel, and and we find out how. um, They find out they do it over food. Oh, by the way, before we move on with the food, these names. Daniel, to Daniel, they gave the name Belteshazzar. Daniel's name, this is fascinating, Daniel's name means God is my judge. El, El, Daniel is God, Elohim is my judge. Belteshazzar means, what does it mean? It means Bel protects my life. Bel, the Babylonian god, Marduk. They're trying to change, yeah, I know you, you think God's your judge, but didn't really Marduk, he kind of spared your life, didn't he? And Daniel has a choice right then and there. Will I be Daniel and believe that God is with me? Or will I be Belteshazzar? And, 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 we, deci- and we find out he doesn't, he decides, you know what, I'm going to draw the line. And so he d- draws the line. Here's what he draws the line on, food. And then, and then here's why he, he drew the line. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. He, it, why he d- he's not going to do it? Because it'll defile me. So let's, let's find out how. Oh, by the way, on defile, the Mosaic law, the law that God had given them not to eat certain things, pork, shellfish, and definitely not food that was sacrificed to idols. Now, I don't know, shrimp poppers, bacon shrimp poppers might have been on the menu because it's the king's table. I, if I was a king, that's what I would eat. But I know what was on the menu. We know that they had food that was sacrificed to idols from the king's table. And Daniel says, I will not defile myself. Let's, but that's, that's why. Let's look at how he does it. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in that way. Now, like most opportunities to rebel, there's always a lot of options, aren't there? From subtle to, to not so subtle. From kind of under the table to making a scene. Uh, Daniel could have s- just said, you know what, I don't want to eat this, and just literally under the table, f- feed it to the dogs. They'll eat it. Uh, put it with the vegetables you don't want. You know, like it's just, he could have done that, or he could have said, you know what, he could have really thought about why this, you know, I will not defile myself, and made a big scene, and pick it, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, let's go, let's, 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 let's make a petition, let's fight this war, our God will be with us. You see, like anytime, same thing with you. Anytime there's a chance for you to rebel, there's a number of ways you can do it, right? Some subtle, some not so subtle. What does Daniel choose to do? He chooses to ask for permission. That's not what I would have done. I don't think I would have done that because it's not very fun. You know, like, what does that conversation go? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I'm sick of this. First they took this, then they're trying to change us, they're trying to give us a new name. This is where I draw the line. I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going ro- to walk in there. I'm going to ask for permission. You're like, ooh, burn. You're really going to stick it to them there. It just isn't as fun to say, is it? It doesn't roll off the tongue. I also wouldn't have done it because in order to do that, if, by asking for permission, he's admitting what? He's admitting that that person, Ashpenaz, has authority over his life. We don't like to do that. 
not when it comes to rebellion. That's, that, that's not what I think of when I think of rebellion. Why did he do that? I think the reason Daniel did it this way is because he wanted to rebel well. He drew the line. He said, but I, I'm going to draw that line, but I'm going to do it well. Because if you, you must defy, focus more on how than why. Now, I don't think Daniel knew that. It's not like he had a, you know, pithy, you know, uh, rhyming thing. But he knew that how was very, very important. He could have done it differently, but he knew that this is, his response right now was, was going to have repercussions. It could go well. It could not go well. He could win. He could definitely not win. So he'll ask for permission. Let's, let's see where, where it gets him. Verse 9. Now God had caused the official to, to show favor and compassion to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, he's like, okay, listen, great. But I'm afraid, Daniel, that of my Lord the king, who has assigned your food and drink, why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. I, th- I think this is the official's way of saying to Daniel, listen, you're not in Kansas anymore, Dorothy. You're not, in, this isn't Israel, this is Babylon. And in Babylon, we have a king. And if he, you know, it's kind of a big deal to rebel against his stuff. So I'm afraid of the king, and I think you should be as well. Daniel, let me remind you where you are. Let me remind you where all your buddies are. Some are in quarries, some are in slaves, some are not. In fact, we don't know where they are, but I know where you are. You're in this palace. Life's pretty good, man. Are you sure you want to die on this hill? Remember where you are, Daniel. And, and let's look at Daniel's response. I love this. He, he, Daniel responds. He still pushes. He still, you know, like he still, uh, he doesn't back down. But watch what he does. Watch his d- demeanor. Watch what his attitude. Please. This is Daniel's response. He says, please. So he's still got manners. Please. Test your servants. Again, I, I'm below you. I, I recognize that. But I, I am going to draw the line. Please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing <clears throat> but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance <clears throat> with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants, there's that word again, in accordance with what you see. What Daniel did here, this is Daniel's rebellion. And I want us to see how savvy it is, how smart it is. It can teach us something very important. Honestly, I was working on this this week, and I wrote down this phrase. When we rebel well, when, when we rebel well, alliances are earned instead of bridges being burned. See, when we rebel well, we have a chance to, to build alliances rather than burn bridges. And see, that's exactly what Daniel did. He said, I can't do this, but I think I have an idea that might help us both, that might actually, in the end, we both might win. That's rebelling well. And see, the beauty of rebelling well is this. It gives a chance for a, a lot of people to win. When we do it right, it, yeah, we, sometimes we have to draw that line, but there's a way to do it and do it right that lots of people can win. Check this out. We're going to read the rest of the passage. Look at all the winners in this passage. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier. So they, he's, he agrees to this. At the end of the 10 days, this is Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They, they look healthier. 
and better nourished than any of the young men who, were at the royal f- uh, who, who ate the royal food. So the guard took, them, took away their choice food and the wine that they were dr- to drink and gave them vegetables instead. So, so Daniel and, and, they, and his guys, they win. They get better. They, they're stronger. The other guys might not have felt like they won because they lost their food and wine and they got vegetables. But the, the, let's keep going. To these four men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. Because of what he did here, God was able to bless them with all sorts of understanding. And Daniel could uh, uh, and understand visions. He won. Let's keep going. At the end of this time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. He's like, these are winners right here. If we keep them around, this is winning. So they entered the king's service. Check this out. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and the musicians and the enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there, there meaning like in this place of influence, until first, in the first year of King Cyrus. Okay, so this, verse 20 is when Daniel's 19, 20, 22, like 22 years old. Verse 21, he's in his 70s. So catch this, catch who wins. Daniel won big time. He won because, and, and, and keep in mind, he won because of this decision as to what to do with food and how to rebel. It's kind of scary to think about how some of the decisions we make as teenagers can affect us when we're 70. That's true, isn't it? Daniel won. He was able to have this amazing influence. Not only that, if you know the story, he, not only did he have this influence, the whole book is about Daniel and the lion's den, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and the, the fiery furnace. If you know those stories, those are rebellion stories. He continues to, to be a godly man, and he continues to say, but I can't go there. I have to draw the line. He's, he's not walked on his whole life. He's like, no, I need, I have to rebel here. And God is with him. And because he does it well, the whole nation, a couple times, hears about this God, this, this God that they did, wouldn't have known otherwise. So God wins in the end. Nebuchadnezzar wins. Ashpenaz wins. All because they rebelled well. But enough about them. I want to talk about us. Because here's the thing. I think we can, we can learn a lot from these men. I'd like, I'd like you to, to ask yourself, what would you have done as you think about re- rebellion and think about your past? If, if you had had that happen to you, Daniel's life happened to your life, what would your response been? I, I know, we all know what teenage Josh would have done. Played the God card and made a big scene. Would have got him nowhere. Probably would have gotten me killed, honestly. But what would you have done? Um, what, uh, when, when you draw the line, who wins? 
when you, when you choose to rebel, uh, who wins? When, when you get angry, here's another way of looking at this. When you get angry, does anybody win? Or is it just, you know, like a lot more to mop up because, you know, you got to say what you wanted to say, but. See, could it be possible that you're too focused on why and you're letting that and everything they've done to you and you just let that burn and then, ah, instead of focusing on how. Okay, yes, I know they've done all these things to me, but I'm going to think about how I'm going to do this. I'm going to pick my battles and fight them well. And see, here's the thing. What if it was different? What if you did, what if just even for a couple weeks, you chose to focus on how instead of why? What alliances might be won at work with people that maybe, you know, you don't see eye to eye, you don't necessarily get along, but because of the way you've handled things, they respect you. What, what arguments with your spouse might be completely avoided? They just don't happen because of how you handled the situation. What would our kids pick up from us, watching us, that might go well with them in the future because guess what? They're learning from us. And how they respond to authority, it's kind of important, right? It, it could it affect their future in negative ways. If they, if, it, what would they learn from us? See, what if we focused on how more than why? I, I think it's a winning strategy, but it, it, here's where I want to land. Lastly, if we focus on how, if we rebel well, what might we see God do? What might we get to see, have front row seats to seeing God do in our lives through our, our obedience? If, there, if we can learn anything from Daniel, I think it's, there's a lot. He, he can take that one, that little, that little faithfulness here and turn it into a big thing over our lives. What, if, what, what would we see God to? Here's how I want to wrap up horrible bosses. I think this is really important. There's two words that came in, in this, this passage that I, I want us to revisit. The two words are, now God. This is in verse 9. It says this. It says, now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. See, Daniel had chosen to draw the line. He said, no, I'm not going to eat that food. That's in verse 8. In verse 9, the next verse, it says, now God. I think these two words are extremely important because it, what, it, what these two words tell us is that God is at work in Daniel's story. He might not have seen it at the time, but God was at work showing, allowing him to have favor in the guy that he's about to say, hey, I can't do that. And here's, here's the thing that I want us to learn from now God. When we say now God, it's our way of saying this. I am not the only one at work in my story. When we acknowledge, okay, yeah, this is all going on, it works a mess, and, th- and what am I going to do? But now, God, even if I can't see, I know, God, that you are at work, you're doing something here. In fact, what I want us to do right now is I want us to read that line together, and then at the end of it, just do a big old sigh. Like, oh, okay, let's try this. It's therapeutic, trust me. I am not the only one at work in my story. Let's try that again. 
I am not the only one at work in my story. <sighs> Let's try it one more time. I want the sigh to be a little more, yeah. I am not the only one at work. <sighs> I'm telling you, when never forget now God. Because what we've learned through Horrible Bosses, and it's been this, this, seri- this, this, this thread throughout the series, God was with Jacob 2,000 years B.C. God was with David 1,000 years B.C. God was with Daniel 600 years B.C. Is it possible that he's, he's with you in 2016? That, that he, there's some now God things happening in your life. That he wants to bring about peace. That you are not the only one at work in your story. And here's how this fits in with what we're talking about today as is, is you try to live what we're talking about today. When you think now, God, it's a lot easier to focus on how rather than why. See, when we get to rebellion, we, we seem to think we're the only ones doing something. If I don't do something, this is going to be like this forever. It's not true. Now, God, God is at work in your story just as he was in Daniel's. If you've never had that peace, if, if, if you've never felt that peace before, I, I beg you, at the end of this series <laughs> called Horrible Bosses, don't leave today without making God your boss. Peace follows. When you start to recognize and realize, yeah, there's a lot of crappy things happening in my life, but I'm not the only one at work in my story. If you've never experienced it, I plead, I beg you, we've got some space and some time during, during the next few songs for you to be able to, to reflect. And if you can't think of a time where you've ever, you know, I, I don't know if I've ever put my trust in God. I beg and plead that you would put your trust in Jesus Christ, the God who led a rebellion <laughs> to save you from your sins, the God who loved you enough to lay down his life for you, and now because of it, you can be, you can be brought close to God. We, we, we serve a rebellious God. That's what the Christian faith believes. Don't leave today without making him your CEO. Don't leave today without uh, making him your boss. Pe- the peace, and so many of us, so many of us resisted it for such a long time. That's our story. And when we finally, finally came near, the peace that followed the courage that followed to do what is right, right? It was unbelievable. Now, God, this week as you're, as you're it, we, we talk about how important, yeah, Sunday morning's important, but Monday afternoon is just as important. Tuesday morning at the office is just as important. And when you feel that urge and you feel like I need to do something, remember, focus more on how than why. It will take you far, I promise. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for these words that have been preserved, for these stories of faithfulness that are inspiring to us, Lord. Uh, for, for words that, um, that help us to see that you're at work. Would you be with us? Now, some of us are, are dropping guitars right now. Some of us, are <laughs> some of us Lord, are, are facing very difficult situations. And we need your strength. We need your wisdom. 
Um, for those of us who, who feel a tugging on our hearts right now of, of, of wanting to draw close to you, would you help them to see that it's not words, it's not me speaking, but that's you, that you're at work, that, that now God, that you're at work in their lives, drawing them closer to you. Lord, thank you for, for being a God um, that is a good boss, a good and faithful God. Amen.